So I get to share with you for about the next uh, 25 minutes, a shorter message than usual, uh, as a part of the series that we're in right now. Uh, just last week, we kicked off our new trimesters. We operate in trimester themes at TLCC, and we emphasize a topic for that trimester. We kicked off a trimester that's centered on the idea of witness, where we can experience the power of Christ in our lives, and when we do, we are enabled to be able to witness and share our faith with other people as well. And so our first series within this bigger trimester is called 3D, where we're talking about uh, witnessing the next dimension of our faith. And Pastor Terry kicked it off last week talking about how uh, we can experience the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit enables us to be witnesses in the world. So today I specifically want to talk about how the Holy Spirit enables us to witness our faith to others reliably and confidently in the world today. If there's something we all know about sharing our faith in this contemporary age, uh, I, I believe for at least the vast majority of, majority of us, it's that it's often very awkward or it's very difficult to do, or uh, we, we, we feel this sense that, as culture tells us more and more, that our faith is intended to be private, a personal belief that shouldn't impact the rest of our lives, it shouldn't impact uh, the relationships that we have with people. It's something that it's great for you to believe if you keep it to yourself, and if you consider sharing it with someone, you quickly realize how potentially awkward and clumsy and perhaps socially inappropriate that kind of experience would be and that you would put people off because you're sharing your faith. Well, over the last 25 years, 25% 25 less followers of Christ believe that sharing your faith is important. And some of the statistics show that 2% of churchgoers actually invite their friends to church. What I find interesting about this, and I can identify with that feeling of not wanting to do those kinds of things, but what I find funny about this is that we do not find it difficult to share our opinions or our thoughts or our beliefs in a number of other things, right? We uh, have a bad meal at a restaurant and we fly to Yelp to tell them our review, or we have very strongly developed political thoughts that we will express on, sh on social media, or we'll go to Google reviews and have a bad experience at a church and maybe tell the bad experience about the church, or we'll do any number of things to go out and to express our opinions in this world. There's no issue with that in general. So I have a little, a little story about this. About, uh, about six months ago, I decided uh, that I needed to purchase this special shelf uh, from Amazon, and uh, normally I am the classic guy, and I'm known uh, like this by all of my friends. I'm the person who researches something for like five hours before I ever buy it. So it's like best shelves, like best countries that produce shelves, best shelf materials, best dimensions of a shelf, whatever. Everything I can do, I go through all the different avenues and eventually I purchase it. Well, this was the time that I did not do all of my research. And I, uh, I saw that this shelf looked very nice on Amazon and it, uh, the, it, was, it was fairly costly. And so I assumed that the cost indicated the worth and value and quality of this shelf. 
So I order this said shelf, and I'm waiting very non-patiently for the shelf to arrive. I'm the guy who researches, orders, and then neurotically waits for the shipment to arrive. And I go on your orders on Amazon, and I go, where is your package? It is at the carrier facility. Where is your package? It's at the local post office. Where is your package? It's out for delivery. Because I very much anticipate the arrival of my purchases. So, long story short, that's not really short, is that I get home, this one day I see that it's arrived and I get to my home, I'm, I'm expecting this big package of the shelf and when I get there, I see where they've placed the shelf and it's in this tiny little box like this and it's just about this thick, which makes you immediately realize that it is an assemble yourself shelf. I'm a newlywed though, right? So I'm a newlywed, I'm disappointed that this package has come, but it gives me the opportunity to show off my special carpentry skills to my new wife. And I had just gotten a new toolkit, of which I had never had one. And I was, you know, I was like, all right, look, this stinks, this isn't what I was expecting, but I'm gonna show off a little bit here. And uh, over the next three weeks, I assembled the shelf, literally. My office was covered with, I didn't walk in my office for like three weeks aside from doing that for a little bit. It took me, I don't know how long, it took like an hour, like 25 hours probably to assemble this shelf. And so I finally finish it, I'm very proud, and I say, Amanda, come and look at this beautiful shelf I made for you. And she looks at it, she's like, oh, it looks very nice. And then I go to open it, and it doesn't open up as I try to pull it out. And then I finally give it enough force and pop it open, and it slides off of the roller that keeps the little wheels in place for the shelf. Needless to t say, for six months, I never saw my important documents. Uh, taxes stuff, I don't know where they are. I only have digital documents, no paper documents, because they've all been stuck in my shelf the whole time that I cannot open. Well, I come home last week, and uh, Amanda has rearranged the house, and I walk into my office, and she has broken all the shelves off of the front of the filing cabinet, and made it a nice open shelf and says, now you can get all of your stuff. It was a very emasculating, newlywed experience for me. Again, needless to say, my immediate reaction was I went to Amazon and wrote the most scathing review, not inclusive of curse words, but the worst things you could think of otherwise, to say how poor of an experience this, this shelf purchasing was. My long winding point of all that is, is that whether it be a negative or a positive thing, we have little reservation in sharing our opinions and our experiences of most things in this world, be it a you know, beautiful experience at an amusement park, well, I'm going to go review them and tell them whatever, whatever. But when it comes to our experiences that we have with God, we are typically prone to being quiet and silent because we feel awkward expressing those kinds of personal experiences. We feel reservation about not most of the other things, but we experience reservation around our experiences around the experience of God. The fact is that whether we like it or not though, just simply put, that scripture all the way through calls us to share our faith, calls us to share our faith. The word witness and testimony, those two words in the New Testament alone are, are seen 167 times. Some of Jesus's last words, as many of us know, the Great Commission are to go and make disciples of all nations. 
to go out and share our faith with the world. There are many, many more scriptures that I could go into like this throughout the Gospels, uh, even in the Old Testament values that God instilled in, in, uh, in the Jewish people, the people of God. We've now taken up that, that mantle to go out. And the original plan was to go out and bless the world. That was the, the mandate, the covenant relationship mandate that God had given us. Many more scriptures on this, but when I read these frequently, or when I read challenging things that the Bible asks me to do, I, I will often go, does God not know how difficult that thing would be in this current age today? Does he not know how difficult and socially awkward and unacceptable, especially in an area like this, it would be to share my faith with other people? That I could be a social outcast if I tell someone what I really think, of course, in a loving way. This, I'm not encouraging people, don't go stand on your desk at work with a bullhorn and say the, the, the judgment is here. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. But being able to lovingly share your, your, your faith, to speak truth in love. We sometimes think that perhaps God didn't know how bad it would be today or how hard it would be today. And then, again, as I have done, I can rationalize myself out of actually doing that thing because God could not have meant for me to enter into this awkward space, this difficult space. To this, I would say that God certainly knew how difficult it would be for us to share our faith today. First of all, Jesus was publicly humiliated and crucified because he shared his faith. That if we sometimes worry about the sacrifice that we have experienced, we have to remember that Jesus sacrificed the most. That he does fully identify with the challenges and the struggle. And then the people who he's telling in their contemporary time of Jesus to go out and share their faith, most of the apostles were killed for expressing their faith. They were kicked out of their families. They were kicked out of their communities for saying what they believed to be true in a loving way to a culture that did not want to hear it. God understands the difficulty of what it means to share our faith in culture. But when God called us to witness and to testify, he, he knew this difficulty, and that is why he gave his spirit, his Holy Spirit to us, to help us to testify. You see, God does not leave us high and dry in this world telling us to share Christ, to share the gospel, uh, even though it's difficult to just kind of suck it up. But Jesus left, and when he left, he sent his Holy Spirit to help us in the task, in the process of sharing our faith. Uh, frequently when I think about the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk a little bit about what the Holy Spirit is uh, just briefly uh, in, in a moment, but when we think about the Holy Spirit indwelling us or experiencing the Holy Spirit, that it's something like, like an internal encourager or an, an internal comforter and things like that. That's definitely true. That is a big role of the Holy Spirit. But what we see in Scripture is that one of the absolutely primary tasks and purposes of the Holy Spirit being sent to every believer is so that they can confidently and reliably share their faith with those who need to hear it. We see this at the beginning of the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So uh, the book of Acts it, uh, takes place uh, chronologically right after the story of the Gospels are told. So the story of what Jesus did, his death and his resurrection happens, and then this guy, Luke, writes the book of Acts to tell about the early experience and purpose and missions of followers of Christ right after Jesus' 
death, and resurrection. And what we see is how he goes about his plan to help the early church to share Jesus with the rest of the world. So I'm gonna read in just a moment from Acts 1, the beginning of the book of Acts, verses six through 11, where it kind of recounts what happens in the gospels first, and it says, Jesus died, he rose from the dead, here's all these proof, all these proofs and evidences for the case, all of these people saw him, and then Jesus appears before his, uh, before his disciples, and he's talking with them, having conversations with them about what they're going to do next. And this is what happens. They say, being the apostles to Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? So the goal of the Jewish people, which frequently we delineate between the Jewish and the Christian faith, a kind of two hard line, when really there's a continuation, I believe, of we still have the original Jewish hope that God gave the Jewish people, and we're continuing that plan. And so their goal in that time was that the kingdom of Israel, meaning the full reign and rule of God, the loving, the just rule of God, would be manifest on earth as it is in heaven. That was the goal. And so they see Jesus rise from the dead, and now they're going, this is about to happen, isn't it? The kingdom's about to come. You have brought this new reality that we've been hoping for our whole lives. So they go, is the kingdom gonna come? And he replied, Jesus that is, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So they're kind of like chomping at the bit, like, are you going to finish this thing or what? And he's going, chill, relax. It is not your responsibility to know the time of when it is going to happen, but then he gives them the task that they are to accomplish in the meantime while they wait for Jesus to come back and to bring his kingdom. Does that make sense? He has his first coming where he shows, where he, he defeats the evil powers of the world and we await his second coming when he will come back and consummate the task and finish the task. But he gives us a task in the meantime and this is how he says it here. When he had said this, as there, oh, excuse me, but he, so he says that and he goes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, this is your task. Don't worry about the end. I'm just telling you what to do right now and it's you're, you're going to share the gospel to the ends of the earth but the first thing that you have to do is to await the rival of the Holy Spirit that will equip you to accomplish that goal. And then on it goes. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Boom, so Jesus... He's sitting there hanging out with his people and he's telling them what's going on, what they're supposed to do, and completely unexpected to them, in some way, whether it's a literal physical uh, ascension, as they call it, up into heaven, or whether or not that's a metaphorical language, we're not precisely sure, but in some way he disappears on the spot. And the disciples are left going like, what in the world just happened? And then these two men appear in white robes, which is an indication of them being angels. And basically, it looks like they're saying, like, like what are you doing? Like, stop. Like, why do you keep being surprised by these kinds of things? 
You should expect this kind of stuff to happen with this guy. And guess what? He's told you a task to start. Now get on with the task and stop sitting here kind of standing up in heaven, navel gazing. Maybe the opposite of nasal gazing, but whatever the opposite of that is. And so he, they basically go, go on and accomplish your task. But the most important thing of this whole, uh, one of the most important things of this whole passage to me is that they're given something that they're supposed to do. But before they can go and do it, they're commanded to wait for the Holy Spirit. Frequently, I think that we can have dreams of the things that we're supposed to accomplish and do, and they can be good things, but we always have to know that if we do not wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish that task, then that task will have been in vain the entire time. Waiting on the Holy Spirit is essential. So. The apostles, they, they, they follow this command, and so they go, they walk back to Jerusalem, and they're fervently praying and awaiting the Holy Spirit, and it looks like they wait about 10 days, it seems like, of just praying and waiting and praying and waiting, making some internal decisions as a group. And then on the day of Pentecost, as we call it, the Holy Spirit arrives in a way powerful like we had never experienced it in this world before. Now, the Holy Spirit is, as we call it, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit has been active all throughout history, and we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament acting as well. But on this day of Pentecost, and when Jesus had come to this world, the Holy Spirit had a unique inbreaking into history that empowered all of Christ's followers to have the ability to receive the Spirit. And then on that day of Pentecost, when, uh, when, when the believers experienced the Holy Spirit, they were gifted with magical, uh, I don't know, magical, uh, incredible, miraculous gifts, speaking in unique tongues that, that, that in other languages they had never spoken before, and so on. The Holy Spirit powerfully indwelled them. I'm actually excited a little plug here, that on June 9th, we're going to be celebrating Pentecost Sunday, the first time we ever, we ever have. And Pastor Phil Muncy is going to come, and after a Sunday service, we're going to have a special, unique service at night, a worship and prayer service, where we will be praying for the unique, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to manifest itself in, in, uh, uh, from God in that kind of space. So that's what we are hoping for as Christians, and that's what Scripture promises us that we have access to, is the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Now, I acknowledge that that sounds like a very weird thing. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Is that, especially to our kind of modern ears, is that uh, kind of poetic language that Scripture uses, or is that uh, some sort of false first century myth that the non-scientific people of that era believed in, and, uh, or something like that? Well, Scripture seems to really indicate that the Holy Spirit has the possibility to, to join who we are and partner in our spirits. And I think that if, if you can concede and acknowledge the possibility, as many scientists and, and philosophers and, and logicians and more do, that we are more than just physical beings, that we are more than just sacks of physical stuff and meat that are doing stuff, but that we have an immaterial consciousness, that we have a soul in some kind of sense, that we are spiritual beings as well as physical beings. 
And God, as a spiritual being, has the capacity, therefore, to interact with us in a meaningful spiritual way, to partner with us spiritually in the sense that is literally having God in you, in your person, and becoming, uh, as some would say, your new operating system. The Holy Spirit is not just like a nice thing, like this little orb that you have in you, and when you need the Holy Spirit, you kind of reach in and and grab the Holy Spirit and utilize his power. The Holy Spirit becomes your new engine. It becomes your new way of life, your new motivator, the thing that pushes you in every single thing that you do. The Holy Spirit is not just reserved for crazy miracles. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be guiding your thoughts and your actions in your intellectual life, in your emotions and in your, in your desires and your passions every moment of every day. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. And I think that we can acknowledge the possibility that that is something that can really, really happen, that we can experience the indwelling of the Spirit. The thing, and so when this happens, and again, I think this makes sense, is that when we experience God within us, then we are enabled to do supernatural things that we never would have been able to do if God were not within us. And what we see in scripture is that crazy things happen, like crazy miracles and healings. People have prophetic words about things that will happen in the future that end up coming true. A special knowledge that people can receive from having God within them. The thing is that sometimes I think that's difficult for us is that when we think about uh, all the things that the Holy Spirit does, we think of kind of that list that I just mentioned. These crazy, extraordinary, supernatural things that happen. But really in scripture, when it lists out the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it lists out in the same lists with miracles and prophecy and healings and all this stuff, In the same list, it has things that we today would call the natural gifts. Things like teaching, administration, special gifting to be financially generous. These are all the lists in the Holy Spirit. But today what we do is like, oh, the Holy Spirit's doing something supernatural, then it has to be something like, boom, your leg just went back straight. And those are certainly things that we should be praying for that scripture seems to indicate really does happen. But what we do is we think that there's a supernatural category of spiritual gifts and that there's a natural category of spiritual gifts. But those two delineations, those categories are completely modern innovations that are not found within scripture. Within scripture, you see these really special miraculous things and then these things that are like leadership, administration, and teaching that we seem to deem natural. And what God says is that, no, 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 no. Some people will be gifted to do miraculous things like this that that doesn't happen in 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 the normal world. Some people will be able to teach really effectively. Some people will be able to administrate. Some people will be able to give. And what we have to realize is that when we find our gift, that gift, whether it looks like the crazy extraordinary thing or not, is supernaturally empowered by God. That when we are doing things that seemingly appear as natural to us, that God always wants to make that thing supernatural. He wants to use his spirit to, to bolster it, to utilize it in ways that you never could have done on your own. And similarly, I think of evangelism, of sharing your faith frequently as a natural kind of gift. It's, well, I can go tell someone, a non-believer can tell someone about Jesus. 
right? They could do it. It's not like the words can't come out of their mouth. You can share your faith. So why do we need the Holy Spirit? It's because the Holy Spirit is the one who truly cultivates faith in people's lives. See, it's the Holy Spirit who uses us to find the timing and the right words by his grace, etc. And then it's the Holy Spirit who's the one who cultivates the seed of faith in the hearer, in the listener, and allows them to even to be able to receive the word of the gospel given to them. See, we in our own power... We in our own power cannot bring Christ to the ends of the earth. It is Christ in us and through us. That's the way that he's brought to the ends of the earth. All of us have been given, all of us. Now, some people might have a special gift of evangelism, but all of us have been given the Holy Spirit, and one of the principal functions is the ability and capacity to witness to others. What we have to do, I believe, is to surrender ourselves, to open ourselves up to the power of the Spirit, to utilize us and to operate us to where we can hear or experience the Holy Spirit leaning us in a direction to do one thing or another in order to share Christ with someone who needs Christ shared with them. But what does it look like to surrender to the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to experience the Holy Spirit encouraging us to witness or encouraging us to do something by his power? I think that a lot of us, uh, when we hear people talk about the Holy Spirit encouraging them forward uh, in doing something, that it actually discourages us from experiencing that same thing. You can hear someone say something frequently like, oh, like the, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me X, whatever that thing might be. And they say it so confidently, and then I'm always like me, like I'm always like, well, I don't feel like I experience that kind of absolute confidence uh, all the time in the Holy Spirit. But a whole bunch of people can communicate like that sometimes. And sometimes, though I absolutely 100% believe that God wants to communicate to you in powerful and confident ways that, 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 we can, that we can misunderstand the process of what it means or that we have to have that kind of firm, absolute certainty opposed to realizing that there's the communicative process of opening ourselves up to God and experiencing the pull and communication from the Holy Spirit that can affect us and bring us to his mission and his will. The reality, the blunt kind of reality is, is that scripture says that our hearts are deceitful. And we are still imperfect human beings at this point in in redemptive history who also have the Holy Spirit in us. And I believe that we have to acknowledge that we are imperfect human beings trying to hear the Holy Spirit. And that we can have humility in that process of listening to what the Holy Spirit says. Uh, J.D. Greer, in the book that we're, we're using as our recommended reading called Jesus Continued, um, he says, uh, he, he, has, he has a passage about what uh, different theories that people have in how they can hear the Holy Spirit. He says, I've met people with all kinds of theories about how to know when the Spirit is speaking to them. Perhaps you've known people who equate the voice of the Spirit with some strange set of phenomena. And then his fake quote, you won't believe this. I was praying about whether to ask Sarah out and driving on the interstate. I saw a billboard and the first letter on the billboard was the first letter of her last name. And the last two digits of the phone number were the same as her age. And right at that moment, my favorite Christian song came on the radio. And so I just knew that God was telling me to ask her out. Jehovah Jireh, God is good all the time. (laughs) And then in parentheses, or girls, maybe a guy has used some line like that to ask you out. 
If so, on behalf of all guys everywhere, I apologize. Hashtag man up and don't, behind God, and don't hide behind God. I think that obviously he's being a little bit absurd, just a little bit though. And what the, the detrimental side of some of this, um, I think there, there are a few elements of it, but one, the big thing is that things don't have to be some crazy set of coincidences in, or, in order for God to be operating. That God could just sit you across from a table and a very normal conversation starts up and you should just stop in the spirit and say, God, please guide me to know what to do here. And guess what? You might not get smacked across the face by God and the words blurred out of your mouth are the perfect words that they need to hear. But just quietly and humbly surrender yourself and to just be able to say, God, just guide me in this, just guide me in this, just guide me in this. And trust that God is waiting and wanting to work through you. Also, one of the parts about this that, that for so much of my life has made me scared of experiencing the Holy Spirit, to be honest, and scared of what it means to be indwelled and to be operated by the Holy Spirit, is that we feel like we, it, it has to be this, such this definite, strong, audible kind of voice in our head, when in reality, we have to develop our capacity to be able to communicate and to experience the Spirit's leading in our lives, I believe. So the people who I've, who I've studied and, and, and read and been able to be around who have experienced uh, a consistency of miraculous things in their lives, like words of knowledge or miracles, is that they always act in such humility about saying that they believe that God has put something, has given something to them through the Holy Spirit, but then they say, God, I believe that you've given this to me, so I'm going to act on it, but I will allow you to test it and for, to see whether or not it is really from you. And to humbly and surrenderingly offer that thing to God and to the encouragement of other people. And to say, God, I'm going to act confident because I know that you want to work through me and I trust that you want to work through me. So I humbly offer myself as the vessel for your power to be worked through me. I'm not going to tight grip your Holy Spirit so it will do the thing that I say that it's going to do. But if I feel leading from your spirit, then I will offer that out and I will trust that you will affirm words that you give me and I will learn over time that perhaps sometimes I mishear you. Perhaps sometimes I don't understand exactly what you're trying to say, but I know and have confidence that the Holy Spirit is actively trying to work through me at all times in my life. Sometimes it might be to tell you to wait. Sometimes you might need to wait five minutes before you have that conversation. Maybe sometimes it's plant a seed like this to witness your faith to someone. Maybe this time you need to share the whole thing with them and tell them about your life story and what Jesus has done for you. But what I promise you is that whether or not it, 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 it appears like the big, flashing light, which God can do for us, and we should pray for those powerful things, that even in your day-to-day -day conversations that you're having in this world, that God wants to use you to share the gospel to the ends of the earth.